Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is March 5th. It's 2023. And we're celebrating the glorious season of fatherhood. That season that has come upon this body of Christ. We are learning to lift up our eyes. To get them off of ourselves, praise God. Wow. Off of our own tensions. Off of our own situations. So that we can focus on the arrows that will be shot from God's bow and surely hit their target. We have truly awakened to our calling of fatherhood. And our calling to this righteous task and way of life has never been any more evident than it is today. We're living in an ever-darkening world with ever more selfish ambitions. And those things are crippling an entire generation right before our very eyes. And yet, our good and faithful Father has given us the revelation necessary to reach our hands down into their situations and to raise them up yeah. in the power of God. We're in a very real and active battle between light and darkness. And our need to burn brighter in this present age could not be overemphasized. Now, as a body, we've taken sober assessment of the limits that we've placed on ourselves. And those limits that were not derived from the Father. We are, right now, presently, in the process of exposing our lameness. Yeah. Our carnal, fleshly expectations. And commanding them to rise up higher. Yeah. And then aligning them with the power of the Holy Spirit that is present in each one of us. That same power that lighted on the 12 Jewish apostles and enabled them to do the works of Jesus Christ and then preach the gospel after those actions. Today we say that we must have a limitless faith. We must have a limitless house of God and we must have a limitless testimony. There can be no end in us, no quit, no withdrawal yeah. inside of our souls. No, we must burn brightly before our God, and we must burn continuously. Ooh, church, do you believe that? Can you see how the Lord has already begun preparing our hearts for this in our time of worship? Man, he is so good to make sure that he is leading us like children, like sheep, because he's sovereign and he loves us. The title of this morning's message is Dawn Arriving. Say Dawn Arriving. Dawn Arriving. We want to tell you this because we can finally see the dawn arriving. And it's because of the way that you've seriously implemented Exodus chapter 27. This is going to be Exodus 27 verse 20. Say Dawn Arriving as you're turning there. Dawn Arriving. Verse 20 goes on to say, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. Church, this is a command that you have definitely taken to heart. We see it in the lives of every man and woman in this room. We see it alive in many of the mezuzahs in the room. But you know this. Oil cannot be produced unless the olive is what? Pressed, crushed, put under weight. You know that the tensions and the weight in your life is producing for you the clear oil required to keep 
your lamp burning. Man, isn't it nice to know that that tension in your life has a purpose to keep your flame burning? Your continual burning has proven to be a testimony to your family, to your brothers, and it's what this nation continually needs. Now in this house, we've learned the scriptural truth that every matter is to be authenticated by how many witnesses? Shout it out. At least two or more witnesses. So just to ensure the seriousness of this command, say command. Command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And to make sure that it's evident, Leviticus goes on to record it as well. And Pastor Judah is going to help us out with that. So Leviticus 24 contains the same command. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 as it's expounded upon. The Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. I'll say this with me. Kept burning continually. Continually. Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of meeting. Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. Continually. Say continually with me. Continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. Continually. Saints, there's a repetitious theme that is going on here. This room is filled with men who understand that the lamp of God must be kept burning. Am I right? Do you know that? Not only does Exodus record it, Leviticus adds a second witness. Within that second witness, Leviticus says three times, or in other words, a threefold witness, that it must be kept burning continually. Are you getting the idea that God and all of his sovereignty, as the word itself is penned, being led of the Spirit, that he wanted you to understand this menorah must burn continually? The Lord saw fit to put it in two different passages, and then in the second passage to say it three times. Not growing weary, man. It's a safeguard to you. He's making sure that we get the point. He's helping us so that we cannot miss it. Church, is this life-changing ministries or not? It is. Are you those who will burn brightly before the King of Kings? Adonai has always desired that lamps would be lit that a fire would burn before his presence. This is not simply about the consumption of olive oil. This is about what the menorah represents. It represents men who will stand before the living God, who have his presence in them, who the fire of God dwells in. Did you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you now know that that spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ? Well, we must tend to that flame. We must address that flame. The menorah is not lit once, but we must stir it up and make sure it burns with the zeal that is worthy of Jesus Christ. Say, you have devoted yourself to things like daily disciplines, to family teachings that are all to the aim and to the endeavor of keeping the flame lit in your household continually. These are the practices that start with you. We must see these disciplines continue and deepen so that the flame cannot be extinguished in ever-darkening times. This house, we are learning what it is to be disciplined to feed our souls with manna from heaven, with words that are more than just repetition, but are divine prophetic messages moving us to right action. You are putting these spiritual truths into practice. 
You are learning what it is to burn continually. Say burn continually one more time. Burn continually. Will you burn continually? Yes. Church, I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to ask you again. Can the lamp of God be allowed to go out? No. Absolutely not. Is it acceptable for your lamp to go out? No. So, in light of those facts, will you commit to burning continually? Will you make good on your oath this morning? Yes. We want you to keep this in your mind. Keep this in your heart. Remember your commitment as you turn to John 5 with us. When you get to John 5, as you're landing on verse 33, everybody say, Dawn arriving. Dawn arriving. John 5:33. You have sent to John. And he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Church, the astounding truth is that John was as righteous as they come. Jesus himself said that there was no one before John who was greater than he was. Despite the exemplary life that he lived, Jesus still clearly says something staggering in this passage. John, not is, John was a lamp that burned and gave light. Why in the world did Jesus say this in the past tense? Clearly, it's got to be because John's lamp went out, right? There's a reason why we all love John. All of our lives are being patterned after the example that he left for us. We are all called to burn brightly. We're all called to preach the gospel with the fiery zeal that John did. And to prepare the way for the ones coming after us. And yet... The staggering truth in this chapter is that John's lamp went out, and so will yours. You are unable to burn continually. Now, unless you think that we're just speaking about your lifespan, like, oh, no, John died. You should know that when Jesus used the past tense here, he is not speaking about John's death. During the time of Jesus' words in John chapter 5, John the baptizer was still very much alive and breathing on the planet. You can compare the timeline between John 5 and Matthew 14, which is John's beheading, and you'll discover that staggering fact for yourself. Wow. So what Jesus is speaking about and what we're speaking to you about this morning is the fact that you are called to burn continually. And there is a limited time that the lamp of God burns in all of our lives, right? This burning lamp is not just your lifespan, but instead the period of time where you can effectively shoulder the load of the presence of God, where his favor rests upon you doing the work. Church, this morning we want to help you understand this principle. The reality is, 
that thousands of years of preaching have often given us a negative effect in the way that caused you to be unable to view a passage in a new or alternative way. They preach the same passage with the same message, and it cripples us from being able to gain new revelation when we engage the scripture. However, we are in a season of stripping away preconceived ideas about the scripture, right? And we do that so that we can see what Adonai is showing us through the plain language of the text. We believe that you will leave this room with a new understanding of a very familiar passage. Are you okay with that this morning? And that our God will enable you to live a limitless life, to burn continually, even though you are clearly limited and your lamp will go out. When you're preparing a sermon, you always have to prayerfully estimate how much it will take for a reality to sink in. And what our notes have us doing is proceeding to the next scripture, but I can tell you don't understand John the Baptist yet. John the Baptist was living, breathing, even in discussions currently with his disciples at the time that Jesus Christ said his lamp had already gone out. Some in the room, when they heard Pastor Nick ask the question, they're like, no, his lamp couldn't have gone out. No, his lamp did go out. And Jesus was not speaking about his death. Jesus was speaking about the time that God had called him to be a light in Israel. The time that John the Baptist was called to carry the workload. The time that John the Baptist was the carrier of the presence of God as the primary point before the disciples. Long before he died, his time for that passed him by. The lamp could no longer rest on John the Baptist. There is a time coming for you long before we're doing a Kaddish for you. When your lamp has gone out. You are unable to obey what Exodus and Leviticus command. That the lamp must be left burning continually. You yourself swore that you would obey it. You made an oath on recording that you would see it continue. But the truth is, is you are unable to keep what you have committed to. So we have a bit of a problem that brews. What we want to do is interact with a few familiar passages that we think that we know, that we've heard 2,000 years of preaching and teaching about. So we assume in advance, we already know what it means. Because that's worked out so well for us in chapters like Acts 2. Our God is stripping away many of our preconceived ideas so that we can wrestle with what the text actually says. Are you ready to do this with us? Yeah. Are you wrestling with this problem with us? Yeah. Are you aware that we have a command that we must honor, but we are unable to honor it? Yeah. Then let's look at a solution. From a familiar passage in 1 Samuel 3. Picking up in verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. So as we mentioned for many in the room, it has been impossible to read this passage 
and see beyond the obvious sermons that you've heard about Eli's personal failings and his sinful condition, specifically in his sons and household. However, what we want to emphasize to you this morning in a way that should be comforting is the extraordinary sovereignty of God that is in this situation. In almost every situation, you have a choice to focus on what is the failing. Or you have the option to acknowledge what was failing, but emphasize, glorify, and see how God sovereignly worked through the situation anyway. This morning, I'm going to choose to glory with God. The text says that Eli's lamp had not yet gone out. Implying that it is in the process, it's nearing that point in time, but there's still fire left in Eli. Much in the same way that John 5 let us know that the lamp of John the baptizer had gone out. 1 Samuel 3 is letting us know that we're getting close. Eli's lamp is about to go out. You may be surprised to find out that Eli's lamp went out much sooner than at the time of his death in 1 Samuel 4.18. There's something else going on here. Despite all of Eli's sinful failings, he did have a real call. He was effectively used by the Lord in many areas, not limited to, but including the early training of Samuel. Here comes the amazing sovereignty of God in this situation. Exodus 27, Leviticus 24, they command that the lamp cannot go out. And yet Eli's lamp, John's lamp, your lamp are all destined to go out. However, at the same moment that the sun was setting on Eli's time in ministry, He had a divine opportunity, a divine opportunity that a sovereign God placed before him to light the lamp of God inside of Samuel. Eli taught Samuel how to fear the Lord, how to hear from God, and he sparked the beginning of the ministry in the life of Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges. He was also one of the first real prophets since Moses. He lit a lamp that was brighter than Eli could ever be on his own. What came from him ensured that the lamp burned continually after Eli. Church, we want to make sure that you understand completely that the lamp of Israel did burn continually. It did not go out. But it wasn't through the calling or mezuzah of any one man. The only way to honor the command of God is to recognize our own inability to keep that lamp burning continually. And to raise up men who will tend to it after the sun has set on our time in the work. We've got a slide that's going to further help you understand the way that your lamp is in fact going out. And what you must set your focus on in this day and in this present time. This slide is from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Read it with us. It says, allegorically, it speaks of the lamp. As it is said, the sun arises and the sun sets. So allegorically, when the lamp is waning and another lamp is lit and shining brighter and brighter... It's just like the allegory of the sun setting for one and the sun rising for another. Before the holy blessed God caused the sun of one righteous to set, praise God, he causeth the sun of another righteous man to rise. Before Moses' sun set, Joshua's sun arose. 
before Eli's sunset, Samuel's son arose. And this is that which is said before the lamp of God went out. Eli's responsibilities in the tabernacle of God were quite extensive. And not the least of those would have been tending to the lamps in order to ensure that the light of God was not absent in Israel. And he did this for many years. And yet in 1 Samuel 3, we find that Eli is not presently in proximity to the lamp. It is his disciple Samuel who is sleeping in the tabernacle of God, tending to the lamps, ensuring that the light of God continued to burn and to be available to the people of God. Church, in the divine sovereignty of Adonai, and at just the right time, when the sun was setting on Eli, he had the opportunity to help the dawn arrive in Samuel's life. If Adonai's concern for his people Israel and Gentile Graftons is so great as to have the light of God that he will even help a man like Eli, even Eli, raise up a son that, so that it continues, we have reason for confidence in this house. Guys, if we can recognize that the sun is indeed setting on us and ask God to supernaturally enable us to cause the dawn to arrive over those coming after us, then we have every reason for confidence moving forward. Church, are you starting to get the picture of what we're talking about this morning? As we're coming into this revelation, albeit new for many of us, that our lamp is going out and that our sun is setting. Before we go back to John the Baptizer, we have an obscure cultural reference for you, and it's from the Deep South. The Deep, Deep South. We like to visit it because it encapsulates the cry of our hearts. So on this slide, we have the first verse in the chorus of a song called Rock and a Hard Place. And I want you to follow along on the slide as I read it to you. It says, between a rock and a hard place, whether I like it or not, I'm digging my grave. Friends ask me why I choose to stay between a rock and a hard place. I ain't getting younger now. I'm fading like the setting sun. And I ain't strong like I was when I was young. But for all the things that I lost, there are a few I've gained. Most came between a rock and a hard place. So we have Eli, John the baptizer, and every man of God after them, including you, that have a specified time ordained by God where you can make the most of the light he has given you by ensuring that light dawns on the sons coming after you. John the baptizer completed his mission. And his lamp was going out because he succeeded in his mission. Come on, somebody. He succeeded. And this in no way was the result of sin that his lamp went out. It's because he accomplished his goal. His expressed intention in his fiery witness was to make a way for the greater light that would come when? After him. So let's have some fun with this for a minute. 
We just told you that John the Baptist's lamp went out because he accomplished his witness. He was not sinful and that's why his lamp went out. Men get confused about Eli. They wonder because much in his life was not perfect, although he saw the lamp of God lit in Samuel. Today, we're intentionally interacting with two different examples. One, John the Baptist, who is clearly getting it right, who is clearly an amazing example, and then one who's a much more relatable witness to our daily lives in Eli. See, the reality is, if he did it for Eli, we can have confidence he'll do it for us. John the Baptizer is going to give us a better example, though. He's going to give us a clearer way, a life that is holistically for the one coming after him. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, after my lamp is out, after the sun is set on me, one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, John's goal the entire time, even the beginning of his ministry, was that one who came after him would be greater than he is. Even in his work, while the sun was still shining on him, it wasn't about him anymore. Yeah. His light was going out. His sun was setting. He was between the hard place of adversity and attacks of Pharisees. But he caused the dawn to arrive in the one who was coming behind him. In the same way, the sun was setting on Eli's time. And it was now about the magnified ministry that would come through the son Samuel. John stated his express goal, the focus of his entire life, in John 3, verse 30. Yeah, John's mezuzah, John's mission statement was found in John 3, 30. It says, he must become greater. I must become less. We all need to meditate on the example seen in Eli and implement the mentality seen in John the baptizer. We must all crucify our own sinfully low expectations and ask God for the supernatural perception needed in order to see where the Spirit of God is lighting. To see where God's Spirit rests, where His favor is resting. And also to be able to speak toward His desired will on the earth. Guys, as John's son was setting... Consider the way in which he was successful in completing the mission for which he was sent. This is John chapter 1, verse 31. John 1, 31. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. John knew through the Spirit who the favor of the Lord was upon, who the Spirit was lighting on and resting on. Those who heaven had chosen for leadership, and he dedicated his life to pave the way for their success. We need to achieve what John did. We need to cultivate our supernatural Damn. perception so that we not only know what God wants to accomplish for the future generations, but that we also partner with him and his spirit to cause the dawn to rise for those sons. And as a result of the revelation that John had, he spent his time washing and cleansing the disciples that were coming after him. 
This work prepared them to step up into their future roles. This caused the dawn to arrive in their lives, in the lives of the son who were coming after him. Church, we can't stress enough how we must sacrifice. We must strain. We must work to prepare disciples well. Come on. We must father them like Adonai has fathered us. Never frustrated to state the same truths over and over and over again. Never frustrated to state the same truths over and over and over again. Never frustrated to state the same truths over and over again. Working with both diligence and patience to see their development become a reality. Now, we will go before and prepare the way for great men who will shine even brighter than we have and take this even further than we ever could. The lamp of God must burn continually. Say continually. Continually. And perpetually. Shout perpetually. Perpetually. There's a natural propensity in men to want to avoid facing their own mortality. The young tend to think that they're going to live forever and act like they're going to live forever. Old men try to stay away from their friends' funerals because it makes them think about their own mortality. But as men of God, what we must do is perceive, as my brother said. We need the perception to recognize that our son and our time in ministry is fading. It is not about us. And to be able to perceive what God is doing and those that are around us and raise them up. We must perceive and we must partner with God. Can you say perceive? Perceive. And partner. And partner. If we can perceive and partner with God, we can ensure that we will bring about those who are greater after our time. Now, Sam, in many ways, the sun is setting on our personal time with you. I mean the three of us specifically. Our work here is not done, nor will our relationships ever be done or diminish. However, our time, it is limited, and our lamp does not burn continually. The house of God is to be without limits, and the lamp can never go out. You know what that means? It means by necessity that your lamps must be lit to the fullest extent. But not just your lamps alone. Everyone in here who is over 18, your life is fading away. You're no longer growing. You are in the waxing phase, not the waning phase category. It is time in this house that we recognize we have to burn to the fullest extent with the intention of catching others aflame. It's not enough for us to have a good Sunday. It's not enough for us to walk in and be filled with zeal. You must be a flame that is so bright that it is catching others on fire. If you're preparing for a lamp to go out, if you knew that a light source that had helped you, that had stirred you up, that caused you to be burning many times, like praying with a man like Nick Arajina, or having a man like Peyton Parsons lead you into worship, and that was no longer going to be there. How much would you tend to the flame that you have? See, you must be the ones who are awakening others in the room. You are called of God, and you will be supernaturally gifted and enabled by the Almighty God. You stretch yourself out, 
in every area of your comfort zone, making life more difficult to the end of raising sons so that they can have the spiritual stature of Christ. We must be able to perceive that we are waning and be able to perceive what Christ has destined them for. Now, saints, we're not dead yet. Not any man in this house. Yet the lamp is waning as a giant sign from the Lord pointing to the need to light more lamps that will burn brightly and continuously after our time. When you hear these revelations about a Vulcan bow, you must recognize that that is aiming the tip of the spear or the arrow into a direction that goes beyond us. We must be those who can see the sovereignty of God in the situation, that he has called for a lamp to burn continually, and that in his sovereignty, he will provide sons that we can awaken. Sons that we can ensure that the dawn arrives for. And God's own good timing, he will make sure that the lamp of God in LCM burns continuously. In increasing measure, uninterrupted, without pause. But it starts with you perceiving that the sun is setting. Perceiving where the dawn is arriving and laying down your own life to partner with the will of God on earth. This house will burn continuously. Yeah. This house will burn perpetually. But it does start with your understanding that you are waning. There are others that are rising up right now that you must perceive. There are others that are raising up in this house that you must be able to have God's perception for their lives and light the flame of fire in their hearts. Guys, even the creation itself speaks a message to us about this process. If you think about it, for every dawn to arrive, there must be a sunset that precedes it. And for every sunset, there must be a dawn on the horizon Consider this, in order for the sons to actually arrive, the father must learn to rest in his work. And in order for the father to be properly put at rest, and for his son to set, the sons of the dawn must arrive. These revelations go from a mere concept to an actual reality, in one place, and in one place alone, in a hard place. We're being introduced to increasing levels of pressure and tension from all sides. With an unyielding backstop beneath it. The current way of life that we live feels like being crushed between a hammer and an anvil. Increased pressure. Increased tension. But that is exactly what is shaping us into what the next generation will need. If it is not clear after last Sunday... Your children are a given in this whole process. We are speaking specifically about generations of spiritual fathers as well. And spiritual sons that at the cost of their own lives must prepare the way for those coming after them. We're going to take a look at this point. At some of the most revelatory points in the lives of the patriarchs. That also just so happen to be in between a rock and a hard place. Otherwise said, as the sun was setting on their lives. Take a look at this next slide with us. This is Genesis 28, 10 through 14. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. 
When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Church Jacob literally had the sun setting on him and is sleeping between a rock and a hard place in his life. In that situation, the dawn began to arrive, though. And so did the revelation that he was given about his descendants and his offspring. Jacob literally woke up in the morning staring at the dawn arriving. With this promise from God for his sons and spiritual sons on his mind and heart. Now, Jacob wasn't the only patriarch who had this experience, though. Take a look at our next slide. Look, this is going to start to come together as you see Abraham. But what you will notice is there are unique moments in the lives of the patriarchs that are always in difficult circumstances. That are always as the sun is setting and God gives them further revelation. If you can learn what it is to recognize that the sun is setting and stay in the rock and the hard place anyway, you too might find supernatural revelation. It says, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That sounds like a rock and a hard place to me. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Thanks for the patriarchs, the sun was setting on them. But for the next generation, the sun was arriving. The dawn was arriving. The Lord literally used the setting sun as a homiletic before he spoke to them about the generation that they would raise up and the extent of the land that they would conquer. And they woke up to the arrival of the dawn in their lives thinking about the next generation that would come after them. Quite literally from Egypt all the way up into Turkey, from the Euphrates to the Egypt. Guys, it's incredible that the Word of God actually paints the picture and paints the homiletic for us. The patriarchs watched the sun set in a very physical way before they went to bed on their, with their head on a rock, between a rock and a very difficult place in their lives. They watched that sunset as their last memory fell into a sleep, and that is when Adonai chose to speak to them. That is when Adonai chose to give them vision and direction. Not just for them, but specifically for the descendants and the offspring wow. that would come after them. Yeah. Their actual sons and their spiritual sons that would come after them. And when they woke up the next morning to the dawn arriving, they had those sons and spiritual sons rolling through their mind. 
they had that perception from Adonai about this is who the dawn is arriving for. This is my call right now in life. My sun is setting, but their dawn is arriving and I must sow into them. God did this for the patriarchs. One great truth about this entire concept is that it seems as though the word speaks the most favorably. Speaks the most highly about righteous men when their sun is setting and their lamp is on its way out. When they're doing this for the sake of the next generation to come, just like Genesis 15, it's quite possible, possibly one of Abraham's greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And he's got a lot of them. Yet the chapter isn't actually focused on him. No. His son was setting in Genesis 15. But the dawn was arriving for his next generation. Take Genesis 28. It's one of Jacob's greatest chapters bar none. Stairway to heaven, visions from almighty God. Yet the chapter isn't actually focused on him. His son was clearly setting by this point. And the focus was already on the dawn arriving for the next generation after him. Take 1 Samuel 3. It's definitely one of Eli's greatest chapters. Yeah. Bar none. His one and only. This is despite the fact that he had many failings in his own life. We can look at 1 Samuel 3 and say that's a great chapter for Eli. The recognition that the sun was setting on him. And that the dawn was arriving on the next generation in Samuel. A son that was not born to him, but who was a son nonetheless. This was his greatest moment in his life. What about John the baptizer? His life was one of the greatest ever. And yet, his life was not actually focused on him at all. His lamp was going out so that the true light could arrive after him. So church, while you understand, just like John the baptizer did, that the ones coming after you will be greater than you, with a greater light, many times, the ones coming after you do not understand this about themselves. Even if it's clear to you, they might not understand it about themselves. And it is your job to make them believe who they are. It's no problem for me to repeat the same thing. And to teach you again. That it is your job to teach them who they are. Make them believe who they are. Because you have seen it in the spirit and you believe it with all of your heart. No circumstances change what you believe will happen in a son or a disciple's life. You know it by the spirit and in your heart and you make them believe it. Church, this is what we have come to call the practice of light transfer. Say light transfer. Light transfer. And it's your responsibility to see this transfer of light all the way to its completion. Your practice of light transfer is your diligent work to make the lowly into leaders. To call the light out of the darkness. To see the dawn arrive in their lives. This is what makes the Lord shine on us all the way into eternity. So we know at this point in time that the scripture commands that the light burns continually. Yeah. 
despite what we would all prefer to think, no, no, our lamps can't go out. No, your lamp is definitely yeah. going out. There is one solution and one solution alone, is that we learn to transfer the light so that it never goes out. Isaiah 45 and 2 Peter 1 are passages that have a harmony as they speak about our responsibility to transfer the light. This slide will show you. Isaiah 45 verse 4, For the sake of Jacob my servant, of Israel my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor. Though you do not acknowledge me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. Are you getting the idea that our God is so committed to his name being glorified that he'll even work through flawed men? You heard it during worship, but God did not choose you because of your competency and your failings are not capable of disqualifying you if you will walk with him. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now look at 2 Peter. Beginning in verse 19, he says, And we have the word of the prophets. Who might he have in mind? Perhaps Isaiah's words made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention or perceive them, focus on them, meditate on them, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The apostle Peter is definitely dead, and now his spirit is with the Almighty God. He is not resurrected in the flesh. His lamp on the earth did go out. But he had an undying, continuous hope, one that was of the dawn rising in the hearts of those who heard his message. His work didn't stay with him. He lit a fire that has been carried all the way to us. Clearly, you can see that both in the prophets and Peter's commentary on the prophets, that this has always been God's intention. It's been his intention from the beginning. For the dawn to arrive, it is necessary that the sun sets on our lives. And again, this is not just speaking of your lifespan. This is about the time frame of us being the primary instrument in ministry. Until we reach the place where we become men who raise up and support sons who are the arrival of the dawn after us. We are currently in a season where our God is helping us. Praise him for that. Our God is helping us connect larger concepts and do it in a rapid fashion. You've heard some lengthier sermons, as well as the addition of too many slides. <laughs> However, it's been necessary up to this point because our God is expanding our capacity. We promise that bare knuckle, no notes, no slide sermons are coming your way in the future. But as for now, Adonai has made it clear. We must understand the perspective that spans many years. We're telling you, LCM, that today we must wake up. We must rouse ourselves and cause the dawn to break through. Because the generations coming after us will need a vision that is bigger than a myopic week or day of our lives. It is time that we expand and we recognize it's not only not about us. We have an obligation. Light their flames. Cause the dawn to arrive in their life. Before we move on, you need to look at the left side of this screen back to Isaiah 45. 
God is doing a mighty work in the life of the man in this chapter. All of you know that. And yet, the man in this chapter does not yet understand the strength that can be found in Adonai. The man in this chapter does not yet understand the light that is dawning upon his life. Church, this is where you come in. For the one whose sun is beginning to rise and whose lamp God has lit, God will summon them by name, even though they have not yet acknowledged him in every area that you think that they should. You must be his instrument on the earth. You must call them by name through your insight into the vision that his God has for him, especially in the areas that he does not yet acknowledge the Lord. God will bestow on them a title of honor, even though they have not yet acknowledged him. And you must speak into their potential, into what they are becoming, especially when what they will become looks absolutely impossible in their current situation. You must father them how your God has fathered you. God will strengthen them, even though they have not yet acknowledged him in every area. And you must reflect him in giving them the strength, the correction, and the encouragement that they need. Because remember, the sun is setting on you, but the dawn is indeed arriving on them. In these ways, church, you will show that you are the instrument of Adonai, used by him to make the sun arrive on these chosen men. Amen. So church, as the sun is setting on this message, we have to go to Luke chapter 6 to look at the example that our king set for us. As you're turning there, say dawn arriving. This is Luke chapter 6. And verse 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. At this point in the sermon, you should notice that Jesus' time of great revelation and favor came as the sun was setting on him. That's when he had his great revelation. At the end of his ministry, when the sun was setting on him. Literally, in this passage, it is during the night after the sun has set. And he is praying. And then the morning comes. And God has revealed to him who the dawn is arriving for after him. And who will be the leaders who step into his shoes and fill his place. For Jesus, he was experienced what the patriarchs and other men of God had before him. He had the exact same experience. The sun was already setting for him. But the sun was just beginning to rise for the 12 Jewish apostles that the Father had chosen through him. In many ways, the sun had set on Jesus' ministry. Although he had not been crucified, the primary focus of his ministry was shifting that light from him to the chosen sons who would follow and continue after him. So as we engage with this, we need to remember in all of our work in the book of Acts and the extraordinary feats that the 12 apostles have, they didn't look like much when they started. No. 
Peter wasn't standing up and preaching before the entire temple when Jesus called them. But Jesus knew that his light was waning and that their dawn was just beginning to arrive. See, fathers must be able to identify what sons will be. It is normal. It is the basic aspect of Christianity to be able to do that for your natural-born children. We're learning how to do this for sons who did not come from your body. Jesus knew what they would become, and he was going to speak into them so that they would blaze like the torches that they were called to be. Church, it is our job in the example of Christ. It is our job to reflect him, to be his body on the earth, to be confronters, challengers, and champions of sons in our midst. Those that are coming after us need this mixture of confrontation, challenge, and someone who is championing their cause in equal proportion so that we can both demand growth and inspire new growth. They are the fulfillment and point of everything coming after our time. Even as we still draw breath, our lives are no longer our own, but are about making them greater while we become lesser. These 12 scrappy and unschooled men, fishermen, who would go on to become the very foundations of the kingdom of God, subsequent to being filled with the very spirit of Jesus. We need both the faith and the prophetic insight to move beyond carnal assessments, to move beyond wishful thinking, so that we can accurately assess what God says that a son's potential is. If we can do this correctly, neither being so small-minded, neither being small-minded nor erring in selfish ambition towards sons of ours, the very dawn itself will arrive in our generation, not in one nation, but in many. We need God's assessment. It's time to get as real as we possibly can in this message with you. Far too much time, far too much effort has been wasted in two ditches that lie alongside the way of holiness, but neither of which are actually on the way of holiness. The first ditch is that we think too highly of ourselves and diminish the potential of our sons. Sons born both to us and born from above to us. This is making comparisons in our own minds between our own qualities and the lack of sons that you do not deem quite up to the task. This first ditch is a satanic lie. It actually allows you to operate in the faithless viewpoint with the green sons that are around you, whether those sons are young or old all while exalting your own view of yourself along the way and pushing them down farther. There's also a second ditch. It's not the highway of holiness. It's a strange, twisted form of voyeurism where you self-direct disciples... You self-direct sons or even those under your care to an object or a goal that is to the end of pleasing you. Pleasing your unfulfilled desires. You direct them because it's something that you just always wanted to do. You always wanted to experience and you get some twisted pleasure watching them do it. This is instead of directing them according to the genuine leading of the Spirit. 
the genuine perception that comes from the spirit of holiness through your mind, through your heart, through your eyes, and out your mouth to them. This is a manifestation of your own dissatisfaction with the boundary lines that God has given you, as well as a lowly viewpoint of your own genuine purpose. Guys, we want to tell you this morning that the answer to both scenarios is the same. We must view the arrival of the dawn in our sons, whether natural or supernatural, as the manifestation and the culmination of all of our lives, the aim of our very existence here on earth during this time. Maybe you've identified that you are in one of those two ditches. Or maybe you sat here this morning and you're still contemplating, how have I walked by my own light? You know, we grew up singing the song, This Little Light of Mine. Man, we have been sold a lie. It is about the dawn that is arriving after us. And we're going to go to Isaiah 50. If you still haven't decided, no, I need to change in this area because I've been so worried about my own lamp continuing to burn. Then Isaiah 50 will convict you to your very soul. Isaiah 50 verse 11. But now, all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches. Go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Church, the clear import of the text is that those who are more concerned about walking in the light of their own flame instead of passing the fire to the next generation through adhering to God's light will receive nothing but torment, both in this life and next. It's not a 50-50 split. Unless we have that light transfer, we will receive from God's hand torment. We've already seen that to obey the command for the flame to burn continually, your expressed goal must be to pass the flame to the next generation, to those coming after you. To focus on your own personal light and denial of the fact that your sun is setting is to put yourselves at odds with God and that to your own peril and to invite God's torment in your life. We cannot stress the seriousness of this light transfer, of passing this light on to the next generation because it is God's right order. If we continue to be obsessed with our own flame and our own longevity of our lamp burning into eternity, then we have misused the light that God has given us and he will take your lamp unless you give it up willingly. I'm going to make sure that we understand each of these concepts before we proceed because we're personally convicted by them, personally asking God to transform us. Areas of your life where you're looking at sons and you're just, you're just not quite ready yet. You know, we want to give the Lord our best. It really should be perfect before you're allowed to implement it because that's how it worked for you, right? It's not how it worked for any of us. 
I've preached hundreds of sermons that were at best a D minus. But that's how you train sons. We've got to get out of the mentality that we're waiting for a son to become what you are before they're allowed to try. The other one that is more satanic and harder for you to see are the areas where you wish that you were in ministry so you push your son to something God hasn't directed him towards. It's the same thing as a parent in the world who always wanted to be a baseball player and was too fat, too slow, too incapable, so they're raising their little child to go do what they wish they could. It's voyeurism. When you self-direct your sons, rather than actually hearing from God for them, it's a satanic lie that is harming both you and them. But let's get to some real just brax tax stuff. So these pastors are sharing and we're talking about the commitment to causing the dawn to arrive. If you cannot be a godly wife and submit to your husband, you are prioritizing your own emotions over causing the dawn to arrive over your children. You are intentionally putting your thought, your torch, your life ahead of what is best for the household that you're a part of. Isaiah 50, if it's to be believed, and I believe the words of the prophets, will produce torment. So the areas of our life that we're choosing our own torch, pretending the sun's never going to set on us. Well, there's a very real and direct consequence to the sons that are coming after you. It's the easiest for you to envision your physical children. But what about all of the sons you should have had that were not born to you because you lived a godly life? Well, every time we compromise and give way to fear and decide we're just going to live by our own torch, yeah, we're ensuring that the dawn doesn't arrive on them. But every time we choose to burn correctly, to give them the opportunity to pour the life in blood of Jesus Christ into their mind, into their spirit, you're enabling the dawn to arrive for them. And it starts in your own home. It starts in the areas that we refuse compromise and we say, no, we're going to give them what they need for yeah. the dawn to arrive. The reality is you don't get to choose the sons on whom God's dawn is arriving. God does. I have personally done this. You ever been selfishly selective with your time because yeah. you think some spiritual sons have a greater potential to glorify you, to make you look good, and others might embarrass you? Think on that for a minute, even with your own natural children. Have you, through neglect and abstinence, committed spiritual abortions by looking over those who you think are just unsuitable? This one's not worthwhile. He probably won't make it anyway. Let's just go ahead and abort him. I'm going to abort him through neglect, through abstinence and unwillingness to really engage and get my hands dirty to see him succeed. All the while focusing on your attention, on yourself, and those who you think will glorify you through their success, picking your all-star team. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. If Scripture is correct, and we are persuaded that it is, 30, 60, and 100-fold are the bare minimum requirements for any believer. So unless your wife is a Ford production factory producing millions of natural sons, you're going to have to learn to make sons that do not come from your own body. Otherwise, you're guaranteed to come up short and meeting the minimal scriptural requirements. But the good news is that the testimonies of both Jesus, John the baptizer, and even a compromised Eli is that you are capable of producing 30, 60, and 100 fold. If you will let go of the sun that is setting in your life and grab hold of the dawn that is arriving in theirs. 
God will supernaturally empower you, and at just the right time, his sovereignty will bring those sons in if you are looking for them. It's not enough just to be cut to the heart this morning. You got to get out of those ditches. Yeah. You got to get out of them. You have to crawl out of them and do something different with your perception of the sons on whom the dawn is arriving. But when you do, when you do get out of those ditches along the way of holiness, when you do refuse to walk in the light of your own fire, you can finally see clearly for maybe the first time in this area. Our sun is indeed setting. It is, but their dawn is arriving. And we have work to do in the house of God. Come on. Yeah. Turn with us to our last passage of our morning. This is going to be Isaiah 58. This is going to give us the spiritual directive appropriate for the way that our hearts have been cut by the word. This is what we must do. Starting in verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. That's right. You have the strength to do this. You have the perception from God to be able to do these things. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe him. And not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Church, these seven items, our job description, first and foremost, is to provide for the God-ordained needs of the sons that are right in front of us. Not our personal needs. Not our misguided direction via lowly expectations. Not our own selfish ambition projected on them. These things are meant to supernaturally affirm the next steps that God has ordained for the son that is right in front of you. We must have a sober judgment of our own lives. And an enthusiasm directed by the spirit of holiness for the lives of our sons. Your job is to raise your expectations both for the sons of this house as well as your expectations regarding the supernatural ways that the Spirit of God will use you to provide strength for their journey along the way. And when you do this, we want you to see what happens when you actually live in this way. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you or beyond you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Saints, whose light will break forth like the dawn? The prophet Isaiah says, your light. Not him personally, but the audience that is hearing this. When we learn to tear the yoke of sons, to provide for them. When we stand in the gap and get rid of our own selfishness. Then their light will break forth like the dawn. You can ensure that this will happen for them. We want you to put yourself in a view of the ones speaking these words to the spiritual sons of this house. Begin to think about them. Begin to picture it. Speaking to them and saying, your light will break forth like the dawn. 
It's going to happen, Gabriel Stevens. It's going to happen, Devlin. It will happen, Keith Phillips. The light will break forth like the dawn in your life. Your healing will appear, Cody. Your righteousness will go before you, Marlon Sosa. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Saints, these promises become a reality to your sons, to them, when you appropriately sacrifice for them. Putting aside your own selfish grievances, dedicating your life to holy hearing from God and supporting them in the endeavor God has called them to. Your level of selfless sacrifice and the choices that you make today. Well, they are the precursor. They are what is setting up the next generation for their works of Jesus Christ. These works that will occur for them between a rock and a hard place. But you must prepare the way for them to succeed in it. We must sacrifice. We must strain. We must work to prepare them well. If you're in this room today and you agree, I want to reach the biblical world. I love the Balkan bow. I want to raise up sons. But you have personal petty things between you and another family and you haven't been able to succeed in living together. Today, those things must go away because you cannot cause the arrival of the dawn until that happens. You've got personal areas of diligence that have either been a neglect to do what is right, neglecting sons around you, neglecting your study of the word that is what you would pour out to them. Today is the time to get it right. If you have intentional, willful sin in your life, well, you need to understand that you have a choice to live your life or to awaken the dawn for them. But you can't awaken the dawn while you allow sin to entangle you and snare you. You have nothing to give them that is good. In fact, you're giving them something that is bad whether or not you like it. We have men and women of all ages in this room. We have some fathers that are blessed to see grandchildren who are both spiritual sons and natural sons walking in the faith. There are others in this house that you got radically introduced to Jesus. I mean, you used to go to a church where they required nothing of you, but late in life you came into a body that required that we become like Christ. You have regrets about the children that you didn't raise well. The truth of the matter is, if he has put you here and you're hearing this message, take to heart the example of Eli. The sun had not yet set on his life, and it has not set for you either. In the sovereignty of God, he'll send you a Samuel that you can light the lamp of God for. There's not a man, woman, or child in this room that is without hope. But we have no hope if we won't recognize that our time in ministry is fading, and it is now about them. The lamp of God must burn continually and perpetually. So our altar call is simple. Our altar call is that we recognize we are unable to do that on our own. We recognize that the sun is setting on us. That we stop running from the rock and the hard place and we willingly stand up in it. Make amends with your spouse. Make amends with the families that are around you. Tune up your own personal life and live as a holy man of God who is worthy of fatherhood. And then begin to place your hands, your life, your work, your sacrifice on those upon whom the dawn must arrive. Stand to your feet. As you do, we're going to play a song that you heard referenced. 
rather than immediately rushing to a place where you get to the altar and things are alleviated because you have repented. We want to take a minute to worship the Lord and contemplate and ask Him what the right actions are when you leave here. Not an immediate release, not somebody praying for you and you immediately feel better, but asking Him, Lord, how can I change as my sun is setting to make the dawn arrive on them? Then Pastor Matthew will direct us further and we will end in unified, victorious worship. We are life-changing ministries, not life-executing ministries. There's a heaviness in this room and it should be there. But we won't leave heavy because we will do what is right from this day on and our God will empower us. So as I begin to pray, reach out to your father and ask him to show you how to be a better father than you are today. Mighty one, we thank you that you, by your divine power, can illuminate to us what must grow. Lord, we ask that you would bring about restoration between spouses, that marriages would no longer be broken, harming children. Lord, that relationships between families in this room would do more than coexist, that they would be united and become the family of Christ in this house. Lord, we thank you for the fathers and grandfathers that you're raising up. Lord, that an awareness in our life of our sun's setting would grow, mighty one. Lord, that you would show us how to awaken the dawn for them, mighty king. Between a rock and a hard place Whether I like it or not, I'm digging my always ask me why I choose to stay between a rock and a hard place cause I ain't getting younger now feeling like the setting sun I ain't strong like I was when I was young but I've lost there are a few I've gained but kings a rock in a heart maybe I want to stare death in the Out my chest and scream, I ain't afraid. Truth is, I'm beaten down and broken from all of the ways. Pushing me to trade my guilt for grace. Cause I ain't getting younger now. I'm fading like the setting. Yeah.